0: And a lot of people are tired at this time of year, and that's okay. Joy and weary often exist together. So, this season, we are asking the question where does our joy come from? And we're going to talk specifically this week about community as a place where we come together to rejoice. And so, I wanted to take a moment as the resident introverted pastor around here to let you in on a secret. Sometimes people, are the cause of weariness. I know you extroverts don't believe me, uh, but it's one of the reasons why I think that it's good that weariness and joy go together. Um, I can still remember early in my ministry, uh, I was an associate pastor and I had preached a sermon, which I didn't do every week at the time, and I had gone back to the office and I was collecting my things and a member came and decided to ask me a question about my sermon. Uh, And it was a long question, you know, one of those like, you know, pastor, if you consider X, Y, and Z, and what you said about this, and what do you think about, it was just drawn out. And I imagine that my face had some kind of special glaze going on, because in the midst of this conversation, uh, the senior pastor walked up to our conversation, looked at the other person, and said, he's not listening come back tomorrow and ask your question. <laughs> I have rarely been as grateful for someone as I was for my senior pastor in that moment. Um, I have lived some of my pastoral life, and I've gotten better. You all know I'm, I'm introverted, but I'm, you can ask me questions about my sermon. I appreciate it. But I have lived some of my time as a minister with the words of the existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre in my head. Hell is other people. Now, I will say Sartre's words have been twisted. Um, He didn't actually mean that he didn't like other people. What he meant was that being in community forces you to think about your own life through the gaze of another person. For instance, If you live your life thinking that all Christians are perfect people who never lie, cheat, or steal, and then you meet a Christian who lies, cheats, or steals, you have to go back and rethink your whole worldview. That's what he meant by hell as other people. And I think that that quote, that idea that that other people force us to think about our own lives that it can be something that makes for a stressful existence. But then you take that word hell and you look at it in the biblical sense of the word. What does it mean in the biblical sense? And it's actually the opposite. Um, The Greek word for hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually believed to be a valley outside of Jerusalem. It was believed to be the place where God's judgment against the people would happen. In fact, To be cast into hell would mean something like being cast out of the city into the valley of Gehenna. To be cast out of the community. And so when the New Testament talks about being cast into the outer darkness, it's not referring to some place of eternal punishment. It's actually just referring to being kicked out of the community. Even those terms that we hear in the Bible the weeping and gnashing of teeth, is actually about being cast out. When do your teeth gnash together? When you're cold and they're chattering. So continuing today our sermon where these opposites come together, uh, hell is other people. The fact that you have to think about your life in relationship to others is a cause of stress. Uh, And... Hell is the absence of other people, the place where you don't have any community, where you have been cast into the outer darkness. And so I have learned as an introvert uh, the thing that all introverts eventually learn. I do actually need other people. If for nothing else, than for sharing my joys and troubles, for holding the stuff of life with. And that's what we're going to learn about today the relationships that sustain us, that keep us going. So here hear now our scripture from the Gospel of Luke. Well, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me in this time when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the son of God. Now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for, who, for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. the child in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Well, may God bless this reading. Well Mary and Elizabeth, uh, we talked a little bit last week, uh, continue to represent several tropes that appear throughout scripture. We talked last week about the women who is without child about God bringing life where there is no life. And in the case of Mary, this reaches a whole new height. It's not that she has tried to conceive and has not been able to. She has not been able to because she has not tried. She is listed in the Gospel of Luke as a virgin, as somebody who can't have kids because she hasn't tried. Of course, I do wanna take a note here and say that there's a translation error here. Um, The Greek version of Isaiah, which says that a virgin shall conceive, um, is not the same as the Hebrew version of Isaiah, which says a young woman would conceive. Um, It turns out the translation is difficult. But they continue to represent this trope of God bringing life where there is no life. But there's something else that these two represent that I think is so much more important. They represent companionship, and you see this throughout scripture. Perhaps the most famous example is Ruth and Naomi. Ruth leaves her homeland, marries someone from a different place, and the story begins as that kind of a love story, but it ends when her husband dies, and rather than go back home, Ruth chooses to stay with her mother-in-law Naomi. And she declares, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It is a declaration of love between these two women, one that says that our joys and our sorrows will be carried together. And you see this pattern so many other places in Scripture, Elijah and Elisha, the two prophets who work together, who learn together, who grow together. Or you hear of David and Jonathan in the Book of Kings, two men whose relationship is somewhere between platonic and romantic. But we can imagine that they are supporting one another, holding together the things of life. These pairs share life together, the good and the bad. I imagine that like most relationships, that it sometimes feels like hell. You can't quite get the other one to do what you want them to do. They fight, they bicker, they disagree, and then something happens, and they can't wait to tell the other one about it. They know their joy is about to burst, and there's only one place that that can happen, in community. And so Mary and Elizabeth are part of this story. You know, everything I said about Zechariah last week, about what he has seen and experienced in the world, about the heartache and the pain and the revolts and the, the violence going on in his time would have been true of his partner Elizabeth. She would have borne the pain of her people. And Mary, this young woman who is looking at the world around her, hearing the stories about the heartache of her people, wondering about her own future, about the future of her own family. And we even know from her story that she's going to end up fleeing to Egypt and back again, that her son is going to be a target of violence. She bears all of this. And in the midst of this place, they both have experienced something great. The grace of God in the form of a visit from an angel bringing good news of something that is absolutely amazing happening in their lives. And so the two meet to share their stories because they can't not meet. They are drawn to one another. They know that their stories are intertwined, that what is happening to them individually is also happening to their community. It's happening to this community that is weary. It's happening to individuals who are weary in the midst of their weariness, their joy is multiplied by being able to share it together. By being able to bear it together. And so I have learned, as we all must learn, that community is important. You know, me of 10 years ago would have said, nah. Me 10 years later is just have more wisdom, I guess you'd say, more gray hairs in the beard. But it is important to have folks who you can share joys and sorrows with. It's not an addition to an already good life. It is indeed what magnifies our joy. And it's not easy being in community. Community requires that we bend some of our own preferences. Community requires that things don't always go exactly the way we want them to go. There's always give and take. Maybe it's not quite hell, as Sartre would say, but it is something that takes work. And yet, it is necessary because we all have those moments when we need one another, whether it is because things are falling apart and our weariness is overwhelming us or because it's the joy that simply cannot be contained. We need folks who see us, who receive us, who affirm us, who know what we're going through, who can be there with us through it. You know, there's this episode of the West Wing that I love. Uh, and I know I love it because I'm re-watching the show right now. And I was like, okay, that episode is five episodes away. If they're half an hour episodes, I can get there in two hours, three hours, whatever. <laughs> But I was so excited to get to it. Uh, it's Christmas themed, so it fits this. But uh, in this episode, you know, it's about the White House, the West Wing. And the background of the episode is this Josh is a staffer, and he has had this very traumatic event. And in this episode, he has been talking with a therapist about this traumatic thing which happened to him. And he is told by this therapist that he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And he responds to the therapist, Well, that sounds like something someone who works for the president can't have. So he's raised the stakes. He thinks that he's going to lose his job over this, over this psychological disorder. He's nervous that the community he is a part of will not welcome him in the midst of his own weariness. But as he leaves that night, he finds his boss, Leo, waiting for him. And this is the interaction that they have. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hall. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, "Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out?" The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by, "Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out?" And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, "Are you stupid? Now we're both down here." The friend says, "Yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Long as I got a job, you got a job. You understand?" So, how do we rejoice in the midst of our weariness? Well, by jumping in the hole together. Because we need it. Because sometimes we are weary. Because sometimes we need someone to say, I am here with you. And the reverse is also true. Sometimes we need someone to recognize our joy, to celebrate with like Elizabeth and Mary gathered together celebrating the gift of their coming children. These images are a good guiding light for any community, not least of all the church, because we are the place standing in the grace of God, waiting on the coming of a new hope in our world, carrying burdens together and amplifying joy together. The world needs a place like that places where our joys and our sorrows are welcomed and carried together because none of us really gets through life alone, even as some try. None of us gets through life alone and that's as true for folks right now who don't have a community to belong to as those that do. And it may mean that we need to jump in a hole And it may mean that we need to celebrate the good news we've received, and often it means both. Another way to talk about this, the place where we bring what we have, might be to talk about home. Robert Frost, in his poem, Death of the Hired Hand, says Home is where, when you go there, they have to take you in. What an image for the church. And so whatever it is that you carry with you this season, whether it's weariness or joy or a little bit of both, it is welcome here. This is the season of both living together. Let this be the place where like those examples of community in the Bible, we celebrate the companionship and the community that we all need. How does a weary world rejoice together? And so let us rejoice. Let us be weary. Let us be together. Let us pray. Oh, holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for this time, for this morning, for this chance to be gathered here in community. We pray, oh, holy God, that you might continue to move in and around us, that you might bind us together, that you might in all things give us hope, As we are weary during this season, we pray, O holy God, knowing that you are one who is good, that you are making things new, that you are making a way. O holy and gracious God, we pray this.